Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. There was just this part of me that knew that I had to make a choice at this point because both of those careers, this sort of on the one side being this artist and then on the other side being a tech CEO, they were both rising at, at almost identical paces. And so it was really tricky to decide which way to go. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. So great to have you here. So grateful that you listen to this and you enjoy it and you feel that it is as inspiring as I feel it is. These stories, the people's journeys from such humble beginnings to really special things are truly amazing and I'm glad that I have a chance to sit down with these people and even happier that I get a chance to share them with you. And today and this week are no exception with my guest, Josh Simons, a really, really special guy. And I know you're going to love him a lot. Before I get started, uh, you can reach me at Barry Katz at Instagram or Twitter, or simply just go to barrycats.com. And without further ado, let me introduce our guest. Josh Simons is the CEO and co-founder of Vamper, the world's largest and most active social professional network for musicians, often dubbed the LinkedIn for creatives. With over half a million users and active in every country on the planet, this is the place to be if you are in the music business. This startup has helped fledgling musicians broker over 5 million connections worldwide. Vamper offers a free solution for young musicians built by a sympathetic founding team of established musicians with Josh's co-founder, Baz Palmer, best known as the lead guitarist for the seminal Hall of Fame rock band, Hunters and Collectors. Simons has grown Vamper into a multi-award winning platform, including a most prestigious nod from Apple with an inclusion in their best of the year list. Prior to running Vamper, Josh spent the better part of a decade as a successful artist, songwriter, and producer himself. His artist creation, Buchanan, enjoyed multi-million streams and chart impressions worldwide. 
They retired from the live concert circuit with a sold-out arena tour opening for Keith Urban and Carrie Underwood. In 2020, Simons was named in the Music Network's 30 Under 30 list, in addition to being voted Reader's Choice. As a producer and songwriter, Simons has been involved in many different artists' careers and has shared credits with the likes of Travis Scott, Troy Sivan, and Kanye West. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. What an honor, Josh Simons. Hi, Barry. Uh, thank you for having me. I have to, I want to start off by saying immediately that typically anything in entertainment I've had a crack at and in most cases failed abysmally, but comedy is one that thankfully I haven't put through the process of trying to turn into a commercial, you know, reality because like I did, I made a film when I was 17, like a feature film when I was 17, I dropped out of school to do that. I've, I've been in a band that's played stadiums and stuff. And I, I have an app now for a million years. I've done okay in all those things, but I do have this big belief that anytime you turn a hobby into a career, you lose some of the love for it. And comedy was one of those things that I never, I'm not, I'm not even sure I'd be any good at it, but I never even gave it a crack because I was like, that's the one thing I can hold on to. And you're like a fucking legend in that field. So it's such an honor to to speak to you today wow i, I think we should end it right here I, uh, yeah so that says so thank you for listening to our podcast everybody we'll be back next week at the similar time <laughs> crap it's so wonderful to get such a, a nice compliment i wish i believed it i mean i believe it but i believe what you're saying i just when I, when I look in the mirror i'm not exactly i don't think the same things that well, you, you know i've been listening to like opie and anthony since i was 21 and I've, I've been on their show a lot. Yeah, right. And so I know all the people that you've worked with, and I'm sorry you had to work with Rich Voss. And, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just, it's so cool to actually get to have this conversation with you right now. It feels quite surreal. The most important thing to ask you is the process of doing one thing and doing it well and whether it's wildly successful or it's somewhere in the middle, mm. take our audience through the mental strains and the exact step-by-step -step process from doing one thing and being in one lane and saying, you know what, let me go into this music social network lane. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in this band, but you know, when I'm doing really well, I'm touring and I've done arenas and there's been 20,000 people screaming mm -hmm. when I'm playing music and then the groupies are being lined up for the bus, but I can't go there because I've got to stay. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you a sobering answer, but I think it's also funny as well. The last night, the last show I played was in front of about, I think it was like 26,000 people, but as I walked off stage, I started crying. <laughs> and the reason I started crying and I, and I cried and I wasn't just a fucking cry. It was a weep and it lasted for a good 20 minutes. And the reason I did that in hindsight was I kind of knew that that would be the last show because what was happening on the other side was I was being, I was starting to raise millions of dollars for this social network that I now run. And this was back in 2016. So yeah, six years ago, but there was just this part of me that knew that I had to make a choice at this point because both of those careers, this sort of on the one side being this artist and then on the other side being a tech CEO, they were both rising at, at almost identical paces. 
And so it was really tricky to decide which way to go. But when you have shareholders, you have an obligation to them. You know, you have a fiduciary duty. And so I, I knew inherently that actually the choice was made up for me. And that's probably why I cried um, because, yeah, I was, I was loving playing in front of that many people. It's what you, that's why you start, you know, that's the whole reason why you get into, into this game in the first place. But I, I kind of knew I had to, I had to retire the project at that point. And we did a few things after that. We did some, you know, EPs and releases that barely you know, broke even, but <laughs> you know, basically that was that was the end of the artist career. But it's, it's a great question because, yeah, how do you know? Um, I think you, you have to hit that moment like I hit. Well, I want you to, if you can, just go a little bit deeper and take us 24 hours before you thought to yourself, I got to transition out of this. Like what happened? Something always has to happen. Yeah. So I just, I'd only been living in LA at that point for less than six months. And my, I guess you'd call her a house. I mean, I lived in a subdivided house in the Franklin Hills and Los Villas. Um, and uh, my sort of housemate kind of, the person in the other part of the building happened to work for quite a famous publishing company. And she actually gave me a phone call and said, you need to make a decision. So one other thing I didn't mention, I was, I was also working for Kanye West's um, good music label at the time. It doesn't really exist anymore, but I was writing songs for people like Travis Scott. And, um, so I, I actually had three things. I was an artist, I was a songwriter, and I was a, a tech CEO. And she gave me a call and said, you need to make a decision. I'm worried about your mental health. Um, she goes, I see you running at a million miles an hour. You, you seem on top of the world, but I, I know I've been in a similar position, I suppose, but not quite similar. She hadn't done all those three things, but she'd, she'd seen people go through these things. And, and she basically said, I, I think you need to make a decision because you can't do all three well. And it was, I honestly believe that it was some of the best advice I ever received in my entire life because I, I then ultimately came to the same conclusion. Um, I had to make a call. It was unsustainable. I was at risk of burning out. Um, fuck, I'm at risk of burning out even just doing one of these things incredibly well, you know. So doing three and trying to win them all was never going to work. And I kind of knew that, but somehow I found myself in that position nevertheless. Some people would probably call that fortuitous. Uh, I would say it was actually quite a frustrating place to be in. I would love to have been able to do all three, but it wasn't to be. And I, I, I'm pretty happy with where things are today. Better musician or better writer? Well, you know, so my favorite artists are the ones, okay, well, let's take it back a step. To be like an incredible artist, you have to be a good performer and a songwriter. They're two incredibly different skills and they're great performers and there's great now, songs. Can I go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you? Yeah. Is Van Morrison and Bob Dylan great performers? Is Rick Ocasek a great performer? I don't want to go on the record with my answer to that, but yeah, I mean, yes, of course they are. They know how to keep a, a crowd of tens of thousands of people captivated. Well, let me rephrase. Okay. Are they as good a performer? I'm talking not the words, not the music, just performer. Yeah. Are those three as good a performer as Mick Jagger or? No, uh, no. I think there's like 20 front men in the world that know how to truly own a room just on their performance basis alone. And, and in those cases, they don't need to be songwriters, although it just so happens that most of the best performers in the world. And if you look at today's landscape, you're talking about Kanye West, 
Coldplay, Taylor Swift, people who can, and, and they all, they are all, it just so happens in all those cases, they're all songwriters as well. So there is a correlation between being an incredible songwriter and being an incredible performer. I really truly believe that I could have maybe not gotten to those heights, but we were on that trajectory and I, I, I you know, anyone's free to Google Buchanan was the name of the band. Um, and in Australia, we were famous and nowhere else. But um, we didn't have a budget. We went signed to a major label. I did it all indie from day one and built it up to where it got to. Um, and I had to work separately. They're two separate crafts. So I had to work on the songwriting on the one side and I had to work on the performing on the other side. Um, and they were they were actually two different careers. Like the songwriting side, I moved to London for a while. A while. I wrote songs for people like the winners of The Voice um, and you know, as I said, ended up then going on to good music and working with the Kanye people and all that. Um, so that was kind of like a career of it on in and of itself. But then on the artist side, if I was to try and work the room in the way that I did, it was kind of imperative that I was writing those songs because I have to, artists always do a better job of performing when they had a hand in the, in the writing because they believe in what they're delivering in the same way that I would imagine in comedy, a comedian wouldn't want to tell someone else's jokes, right? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, you feel like a, a, a fake, a fraud. Um, so when you're out there, if you're trying to somehow bring all the energy you have in your body to captivate a room of 10,000 people, the only way to do that is to do it with conviction and you, you, that has to be your own work. Uh, so there's definitely a correlation between being a good songwriter and a good performer, I think. I love talking about this because I think I have a different thought process about this because there's many wildly successful songs that are performed live by great artists and they give it all they have and they didn't write the words. That's true. Yeah. And those same artists sing songs that are wildly successful that are their own songs as well. Yeah. So I don't know if I, and I'm talking to a music expert and I don't know if I necessarily agree with you there. Although I will tell you this, comedians, one of the most empowering things about them is when they go on stage, they, they write, they direct, yeah. star, they executive produce their own show every night in the comedy clubs and every night it's a different production. And when they go to audition for Clint Eastwood or De Niro or Steven Sodenberg or whatever. They're reading someone else's lines. They read their words and make their words special. Totally. It's very challenging. However, we've seen Jamie Foxx do a great job of that in Ray. We've seen Ray Romano in The Irishman or The Big Sick and several other great comedians do other people's words. But again, getting back to you, are you a better writer in your own mind or a better musician? I'm, I'm king of it all. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I honestly, the truth is that is not for me to decide. I really believe that. Like, I, I think I'm very good at both. I made some money from both. Uh, I made more money from writing. So if we're going to base it on the bank statement, then that's your answer. But I don't think that tells a, you know, the full story either. Are you a better writer or a better CEO of a music social media? <laughs> I'm a very good CEO. I'd probably say I'm best at that because I've spent the longest and most intense time with that. I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say I, I regularly work 17-hour days. I have staff in six different time zones. I've got 
yeah, and 26 of them spread all around the world. We've been, we've, we were a remote company well before COVID. It's exhausting, but you don't do it, you know, for the, for the money, you know, you do it because you love what you're doing. Right. And so I've honed those skills incredibly well, I think. You know, what's odd about you? You don't seem like an administrator. Oh, that's probably the part I'm best at. <laughs> you seem like you're a guy who specializes in orchestrating the schematics and the numbers and how things are going and the algorithms. You seem like a guy who, if I were an artist, I would want to join your platform because you are artist friendly. I yeah. wouldn't want to join your platform because, hey, I want to join this platform that Josh is doing because he's a great administrator. Yeah, I mean, that's a good observation. And we are artist friendly and fiercely like uh, proud of that. Um, in fact, you know, like we have a division of the company called Vampa Publishing, which gives kids who would otherwise never have a hope in hell of getting their music published on film or TV. Um we have a division there and and we could have been greedy and taken a 50 50 cut or even more extreme but you know it's 35 65 in favor of the artist i built the company as the company i wish i had when i was running things independently and that's how i, I built it um as far as algorithms and stuff go uh the truth is i was born with just a mechanical minded brain i, I kind of see things as um I just see everything as problem solving and not in like an uh, arduous, um, uh, stressful way. I just see everything as little challenges that you, you just got to do step by step. And I'm quite good at compartmentalizing and that it turns out is a good quality to have as a tech CEO. Because um, that's all I do all day long, whether it's a staff conflict or designing the algorithm for our matching suggestion thing we call discovery. Um I'm involved in all of the, those pieces at various levels and it's all just problem solving. It's quite similar to songwriting actually, because when you're songwriting, you're thinking, okay, does this, should this bit come before or after the verse or is this a bridge or is this really a chorus or is this an outro? Um, and obviously it's a different scale. I'm, to, I'm going, does this hundred thousand dollars really, should that be spent on this marketing exercise? Obviously the scale of, um, of consequence is different um but they're quite similar they they flex a similar muscle in the brain um but yeah i hope people come to vampa because they go josh is a, is cool as fuck and he's he's walked this path that i'm currently on um and we hope to replicate that level of success and and hopefully actually go substantially further that would be the dream and some of our acts have we've had multiple acts go on to sign uh, major record deals the thing about building a platform like Vampa, which is trying to help very, we call them fledgling musicians, but it's basically early stage musicians. Um, and we said this to investors from day one, fucking investors, but we said this to them from day one. Careers take minimum like seven years to really pop. Even the stories that look like overnight successes, there's been, it's been years of work in the making. So to be able to, we always know that Vampa is just a numbers game. At some point, because we have millions of people on it, one of those million people plus is going to be a superstar, but it's going to take some time for that to happen. And so we're starting to see some of those seeds really sprout. Um, and it's a really exciting time to be doing what I do. Uh, was the second choice for the name of your company cool as fuck.com? 
<laughs> I wish. I think the second name, I, no, the, the first, so the day that we founded the company, and by the way, my business partner's name is also Barry. So there you go. Um, Australia, when I go to Australia, because yeah. my, my second wife and the mother of my children, whenever I go to Australia, because she's from Melbourne, they always call me Baz. Baz. And Americans don't know how to say Baz. So whenever he's over here with me on business trips, they always call him Baz or Boz. Why is Baz Barry? I don't know, but why do Australians abbreviate everything? It's hard to know. But anyway, I think we called the company, I, call, I came up with Bandlink, which is a shocking name. I mean, I should be roasted for that. And then Barry said Vampa, and, and then we registered the company the next day. So that's how it started. Well, where did that come from? Well, to vamp, to vamp in music is to, you know, jam, basically. Um, and at the time, it was very trendy to have put an R at the end of everything. There was Tumblr, Twitter, Tinder, etc. And so it just it was just Vamper. And, and we knew also, and the, of all the projects, creative projects I've ever been involved with, I've always used made up words or words that aren't like nouns or ad- adjectives. Like, so it was very in keeping with how I like to brand things, which is, and, and it helped from an SEO perspective and stuff like that as well. So I don't want to bore the listeners with why we decided to call it Vampa, but, but we've had, we've had some like advisors, like one of the earliest investors, a guy called Matt Adele, former CEO of Beatport. You might even know him um, sort of roles probably in similar circles, but he would tell us all the time, you've got to change the name to Collabor. You've got to change the name. And I guess we, we, we hold that up our sleeves in the event that for some reason one day we would have to God's beat or have to rebrand for some reason. But, I, you know, that doesn't seem to be a problem at the moment. So we'll, we'll, call, we'll keep calling it Vampa for the foreseeable future. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to BarryCats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. It's the beginning of 2015. Mm-hmm. You know you're going to be launching in three or four months. Yeah. And there's nothing. There's no, not one member, not one person following anything. Stop it. Don't take me back to that time. <laughs> that was the worst. No, you know what? That was the best time. They call that to, the, to our uh, listeners, blue sky. That's when everything feels possible, but you haven't actually achieved anything. And it, it's arguably the most exciting time. And I'd never, ever recommend to everyone, to anyone, sorry, to not enjoy that because it is it is a very enjoyable time and you should enjoy it. Things only start to get hard the moment after you press launch. 
Um, yeah, so take our audience through those three months leading up. And there's always, whenever you start anything, always in the back of your mind is, even though you try so hard not to have it there and you just say cancel as loud as you can in your mind, <laughs> do everything you can. But there's always a little something, a part of your brain that says, what do I do if this doesn't work? Yeah. What do I do if no one cares? I was telling somebody in the office recently in football, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who won the Super Bowl were 10 and three or 10 and four. And the New Orleans Saints were coming to their stadium. Yeah. And they were like a 500 football team. They were ravaged by COVID. They didn't even have like a starting quarterback. And the Buccaneers and Tom Brady didn't score a point in their mm -hmm. own building. Zero. They scored as many points as if there were 53 coffins out there being wheeled around and playing football. Like you and I could have been on the field with our friends and scored as many points yeah. as they scored. And this is the greatest player of all time. Oh, yeah. And a Super Bowl team in their own building in front of 80,000 fans cheering them on. and zero so you're starting your company and you're not the goat mm -hmm. you're not the greatest ceo of all time you have no I'm, I'm not zach i'm not jack dorsey yeah i got no hits oh. on the board in that world yeah there's no track record yeah. you're a musician who's experienced success and a writer but it's not like you're steven tyler starting vamper that's right you have no spokesperson who's like a massive household name in the music industry that's going out. And even Priceline.com had William Shatner. You got nobody. Yep. There's no money for anybody yep. saying, hey, go on here and do this. Yep. What's happening at the company before the launch? And why do you guys think that you're going to make it work? without any support from anybody who's respected. I'm talking about respected as a well-known household name in the business. I totally get what you're saying. And I'll get into what, why we thought we could succeed, but I'll start by saying that that was a conscious decision to, even though it was doing things the hard way, we knew that for this thing to have longevity, it had to start as a grassroots community or else it would, always be considered inauthentic. And let me explain that. If we had enlisted Drake, for example, on day one to, to launch the thing, or Kylie Jenner is a better example because she's not even in the music industry. But like, let's say we somehow managed to convince someone we could pay them a quarter of a million dollars to launch the thing. Yeah, we'd get a million downloads on the first day and then the community would die the next day, literally the next day. And when you are trying to build... We, even though it was my first tech startup, I, I'd been around enough people who had worked in the space to understand that you have to build things in a sustainable way. Um, and I'd also had a, a music career, which is sort of somewhat analogous to that. It, you had to do things. It was, everything was always one block to the next stepping stone, right? Like you take one step and then that allows you to do the next thing. Like, in other words, you start in clubs and then you go to theaters and then you go to arenas and then you go to stadiums. Growing a, a user base, even though, again, I hadn't done it before, it was fairly clear to me that 
I had to grow it in a similar way, which meant starting with being excited about the first 100 users, getting excited about 1,000 users, getting excited about 10,000 users, and so it went. Every new milestone, we, we made a point of celebrating it because that's what kept us going. But yes, the truth is we chose to do it probably the harder way because we could have probably raised enough money to get a big name to attach themselves to it. Um, and they could have taken a percentage of the... Uh, but but think about it this way. Here we are now today, and we're actually, funnily enough, having these chats with celebrities now because we've determined that now that the grassroots side of the business has cred and has been established for coming on seven years, we can attach a name now to turbocharge things without losing the credibility that we work so hard to achieve in the first place. But also because we've gotten to how far we are, we're giving away way less of the company to bring someone on. So whereas in the early days, if I brought on a big name, I might've had to have given them 50% of the company. Now I can give them 1%. And that's just because of the sheer hard work that we've put into things over the past seven years. But to come back to your question, how does it feel, you know, in you know a few months before launch, you're fucking terrifying. <laughs> it was scary as shit. We sort of knew what we were doing. That's the um, third name of the company, scaryshit.com. Scaryshit.com. That was the fourth, that was the fourth option. Um sorry. No, it was um it was terrifying, but but it was also super exciting. I mean, we as I said, fairly mechanical minded brain but also my business partner and i uh, very much in agreement that don't ever try and reinvent the wheel um look to the giants who have kind of cut down the forest and we're going to come along and plant them all so you know we looked at how tinder built their algorithm we looked at how linkedin was improving their algorithm we looked at how soundcloud was reaching artists we looked at a lot of different companies and when i say looked i, I really mean like studied them extensively over years um and still do to this day and we look to take the steal the best bits um, and put them together in a product that ultimately is unique. You, you take all these incredible features from various companies, throw them together in a way that makes sense for a specific market. And that's how you put them all down, right? It's kind of like there were some other platforms out there that were similar to Vampa, like one called Treble, for example. And they were really cool, but they were like, the pitchfork and we were the billboard as in they appealed to a very cool small niche audience but we saw how we could make it mainstream and that's what we that was my ambition i don't like doing things small so that's kind of how we approached it how many competitors were there in the space when you started probably like six but none of them had more than 50,000 users. In fact, that was one of the first things we identified upon doing market research was, you know. 50,000. Why Why can no one crack this 50,000 number? Now, obviously, give or take 10,000, whatever. Like, not everyone was exactly at 50, but that was kind of, that seemed to be the this glass ceiling that all these companies hit. And so that begs the question, is there a market for this? Well, we know the answer to that is yes, because look at MySpace. MySpace was how bands broke in the you know early to mid 2000s um, and no one ever plugged that hole. And so a lot of companies were coming out and a lot of them were taking what I would call like a list-based approach where you could go and download this an app and you could scroll through a directory of tens of thousands of people. First of all, that's, fucking stupid because you're giving away your entire user base ready to scrape there's so many problems with that then other companies did map-based approaches where you could zoom in on pins anywhere in the world and you could find collaborators 
that's also stupid because if you're going to try and build a network with 100 million people, the whole map's going to be red because there's not going to be any space for the physical pins on the screen. So we knew that the existing models were broken and that no one had the balls to kind of, at that point, try and redo MySpace. And they were still kind of puttering along, uh, losing steam by the day. Um, Murdoch really made a royal mess of that one. And that was a big part of my life and career because Dane Cook, together we started social media for stand-up comedians. There wasn't anybody doing it and he had the foresight to know this is the way to go. And when we did the HBO special at Boston Garden, he just pressed the button and it was 38, 39,000 people sold out without a promoter, without anything but we didn't need a promoter. We didn't need any ads. We didn't need anything. We knew the power of that platform. And I always wondered why there wasn't anything for uh, musical artists really that was making a push. And I just want to say one other thing, just from personal experience, because I think it's important for the audience. My older son, he's 17. He's been producing music for probably four years to his 13. He has FL Studios. He has Omnisphere. He has everything. And he's in his room all day long making beats and connecting with people. And he gets excited because each week he'll be like, hey, I connected with this person. He's going to use my beats for his songs and I'm going to get credit here. I'm going to do this. And I'm like, well, how many people did you send out to? And he said, well, I mean, I just sent out to, you know, like three or four or five this week. I'm like, well, what happens if you sent out to 500? That's right. 5,000. Yeah. He's like, well, I have to do things through Instagram and go through certain situations. And I said to him, aha, I'm <laughs> going to be talking to somebody who is doing things a different way. Yes. Uh, what I wanted to ask you, though, was, and I think about this for my son, and I also think about this for young artists, comedians, anything. It's like in our industry, it's one thing to make the connection. It's one thing to have people be excited about what you do and to say to you, hey, what you do is really special and you'll add value to my life. Yeah. But I feel like there's very little things out there to protect the artist. So like, let's say my son, he meets somebody on Bamber and they want to use his beats, but young people don't have the tools of, you know, contracts and things of how to protect themselves when they do connect on your site. How do you educate the people using your site that, hey, listen, when you work together, this is what you have to do. And this is the rules. And this is what should happen. And this is the amount of money you should make to do this and this. And this is how much you should pay this person for that. And how do you help people get into a healthy situation rather than an unhealthy situation where they're just reaching people and people are just ripping them off. I'll give a long-winded response if that's okay. And I'll start with an analogy. The first time I realized people were getting fucked. So I got fucked, but in, I got fucked and this sounds so weird, but I got fucked the, the, the way that most people get fucked, which is, um, I got fucked because I signed just a shit deal that was, they exercised every, crappy option that I overlooked and I had a bad lawyer. So that that's sort of like, that happens to probably even the most famous people in the world in their early parts of their career, they signed some crappy deal and, and then ultimately they managed to get out of it and they, or they do an override and, or whatever, they, they sign a new deal, they get released. 
there's a whole world. There's like a black market industry of exploitation going on that young artists who have nothing but dreams and high hopes, like they're, they're ripe to be exploited by and it's terrifying. Um, so in answer to what does Vampa do about that? Well, up until now, we do blog posts and stuff that are, you know, the, the intended to be educational, but uh, I, I'm happy I can sort of announce it here, but we, we're actually launching a, a, an academy this year that's going to be probably one of the cheapest online music academies, if not the cheapest, where we will be specifically talking about the business of music. We're calling it the Music Business Academy. And the whole point, purpose of it is to address the knowledge gap that exists in the entertainment sector. And it, it does go beyond music too, by the way. And when we first launched Vampa and we talked about introducing things like a news feed, we thought that the knowledge gap that existed in, I call it the supply chain of entertainment, which we can come back to, would be addressed by people watching other people in the industry connect with each other, see like, oh, this artist just connected with the manager. Maybe I need a manager. Oh, this person just bought this product. Maybe I need this product. But it turns out it wasn't that easy. Like the we didn't solve that problem with just social features alone. So it became obvious to us that we actually have to hire top academics from around the world, which we've done, and create a course and make it as close to free as possible. And hopefully that has, you know, a nice uptake and, and we can catch up on that in a year's time and I can give you the update then. But that's that's what Vamp is doing, at least to respond to that. We also get reports of fraud and stuff like that, and we take it very serious. We have a zero tolerance policy. So Anytime we get wind of anyone trying to pull off shit like that or not signing song splits or touching someone's bum in the studio, things like that happen all the time. You know, like a guy inappropriately touching a girl's butt or something after meeting on that. You know, we just have a zero tolerance policy. We work with the artist if they need support to back up their claim to report it. But it's tough is the short answer to your question. Obviously, I've, you know, we're doing certain things, but it is tricky. It's super tricky. And to, cut, yeah, to come back to the, the supply chain of entertainment, I always find it funny that you can be a plumber, right, and make much more money than an early stage musician. And yet the only people you have to deal with is your customers and probably the store where you buy your supplies from. That's your whole supply chain. Musicians and even comedians, but I think it's actually more extreme for musicians just because uh, we'll get to this, but to put on the most basic of club shows, you have to work with about 27 different people. You've got the venue, you've got the promoter, you've got the merch manufacturer, you've got the merch stand people who are manning it, you've got the front of house lighting person, you've got the front of house sound person, you probably have a monitor mix engineer too, you might have a manager, you might have an agent, you have band members, you have songwriters, you have performance rights organizations, the list goes on. So to, so just, and at the end of it all, you walk home with $50 and five beers for free that they give you, that they've comped you. So <laughs> artists go into creative fields because they don't want to go into the corporate world where they think life's going to be boring and tricky. The irony is that artists probably have to navigate a more complex supply chain than almost any other industry in the world period. And that always strikes me as funny because it's, you know, you'll, especially in the indie scene, people go, I'm not a business. I'm not a businessman. You are. No. And you, and as soon as you realize that you are, it's going to be the best day in your life because this is the day that you'll hopefully take some control over the outcome because you're already putting in the work. You can maintain that you're not a business, but you're, you're putting in the fucking work to understand how it all works just by sheer virtue of participating. So we're in a strange, strange industry like that, but the missing key is education. And that's why Vamp has been, like our goal for 2022 is 
to pivot, not, not pivot's the wrong word, to expand our offering from a simple social platform to be more of an educational tool. And, and I think you'll, you'll see us make some noise in those spaces. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.